some things that we're going to begin to look at over the next uh, week or so. But I did uh, have already emailed the, uh, the, the notes uh, so that they can be uploaded to the website. So you can certainly uh, download those notes from the website and you can you know, get the message on audio from the website as well. <clears throat> Today, uh, I'm going to talk to you um, about change and the eternal pattern. Change and the eternal pattern. Or, the blessedness of change. Change in the eternal pattern sounds a lot more spiritual, doesn't it? But the blessedness of change, it's like, is there any blessing in change? Because the reality is, uh, human beings don't like change. It it goes against uh, our nature. And uh, there's a lot we could say about that, but we'll just leave it at that, okay? So it's not uncommon for people to resist change. And it's part of our human nature to ignore those things that may challenge the areas of our life that have become our comfort zones. You know what I'm talking about? Are you you tracking with me? Have you ever been challenged in an area of your life that has become your comfort zone? Have you ever been comfortable in something and then all of a sudden you've been challenged in that area and and you just don't like that? Um, And so this is... This is the reality. These are the things that we resist. These, this is the change that we don't like. But change is an important thing for us to talk about because, in a sense, our lives are changing all the time. Uh, now, we serve a God who doesn't change. Kind of a paradox there, right? Our lives are changing all the time, but the God we serve never changes. Um, but it's really not a paradox. It's, it's not a contradiction. Because the God who doesn't change, the reason He doesn't change is because His purposes are eternal. Remember, I've said this before, we don't serve a God that is reacting to the failings of man. We serve a God who is sovereign, who doesn't react. We serve a God who already knows the beginning from the end. And for us, that should be a very comforting thing. And so let's talk about change in the eternal pattern. I want to read a scripture to you. And it's not really going to be the scripture that we're going to be focused on today, but it's going to be a scripture that we're going to talk about in... in, um, We'll talk more about it next week. But I'm going to read it to you kind of as an introduction today. It's the book of Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things. Wow, that is a big statement right there. Whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. I want to read on. Who? This son he is speaking through now. Who? Being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person 
and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had himself purged our sins, set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. This is our God. He is the brightness of the glory of God. He is the express image of very God himself. He has himself purged our sins and he has sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. We, we can't really comprehend in our minds the significance of that, but let me just tell you, that is significant. Father, I just pray today that you would open our hearts and open our minds, that you would, by your Spirit, continue to work in us. Lord, to bring about the manifestation of the life of Christ that has been implanted in our hearts by your grace, by the power of your Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, Lord, to bring about a witness of the fullness of Christ in your body, the church, in all of creation, God. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive what you are speaking to your church today by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So change in the eternal pattern. We could, we could say it like this, and this is what the book of Hebrews is all about. Christ is the pattern. He is the pattern. Everything is going to conform to that pattern, which is Christ. So before we get into that, we're going to talk more about that in depth next week. But I want to talk specifically today about change. Uh, change and the eternal pattern. Why? Because there is something taking place in us, whether you know it or not. This is the greatest work of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the reason God has poured out His Spirit on all flesh in these last days. When you were born again and God put His Spirit in you, He put that Spirit in you because the work of the Spirit was going to bring about change in your life, transformation in your life. Paul calls it this in Romans 8, 29 and 30. We are predestined, we are foreordained to be conformed to the image of the Son. So this change that's taking place is that God is bringing about a a conforming to his son. Not, not Jesus as he walked on the earth, but Jesus as we know him now and as he is revealed now in his glory. See, we all want to wear the bracelet, what would Jesus do? And we want to think about Jesus walking around in Galilee and we want to say, well, what would Jesus do? That's the wrong question. You're trying to conform to the wrong Jesus. You were never meant to conform to Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. We are called to be conformed to the glorified Lord of glory. We, we can't even imagine who He is. 
And you don't have to try to imagine who he is. Why? Because you have a Holy Ghost inside of you. You have a very person of the Godhead living on the inside of you that is bringing you, whether you know it or not, whether you are conscious of it or not, he is bringing you to a conforming of the Son of God in his glory. He is. You might not believe that right now. You might not know how that's possible. But I'm telling you this, not not because it's coming from me, but because this is what the Word declares. This is the gospel. See, if the gospel doesn't become more than, I got my ticket punched to go to heaven one day, you are missing out on on so much you you can't even imagine. If the gospel's not more than you getting goosebumps, Holy Ghost goosebumps when you come to church on Sunday or whenever you come, you, you are missing out on so much. If the gospel is not more than you doing something in some external realm, if the gospel does not become the reality of what God is doing on the inside of you by the power of His Spirit. See, the good news is you don't have to do it because you can't do it. But God has put within you a power, a person who is bringing you to glory. In a sense, we're already there. We are in Christ, seated in heavenly places. But, but yet, there is a growing up. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. A growing up into Christ, into all things. A maturing, a coming to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. This is the man that God is establishing as a witness in creation. Hallelujah. And you, as the church, you are part of that man. You are in that body. And the Spirit of God in you is bringing about this change, this transformation, this conforming to the glorious Son. And so, we go back to this very basic truth about God. God is is sovereign. Either God is in total control or he is, has no control. Really and truly. If we believe God is who the scripture declares he is, he is either in total control or he has no control. Because he can't be what the scripture declares him to be and be partially in control, then he can't be the God the scripture declares. So we got to come to a place where we understand and we have a peace and a comfort within ourselves that the God who created us, the God who is Lord of all, is really Lord of all. And He is really the sovereign over everything and He is in absolute control of everything. And we need to come to a rest in that. Now, having said all that, your situations and your circumstances and my situations and my circumstances and the condition of the world around us is very real. And there is real uncertainty in many aspects of the world around us. But at the very same time, there is absolute certainty in who God is. So are you going to look to the uncertainty all around you, or are you going to trust in the certainty of who God is? That God, even though you might not be able to figure it out in your finite brain, I certainly can't figure it out in my finite brain how 
God seems to be, or He is in control of all this uncertainty I see around me. I say, well, you know what? My God is bigger than that uncertainty. And then my God absolutely has all of that uncertainty under control. Why? Because He is the sovereign. He is the Lord of all. Because before he flung the sun, the moon, and the stars out into their places, before he flung galaxies to the far reaches of the known universe, he already knew what he had ordained. And there really was no uncertainty in God. There can't be any uncertainty in God, or he is not God. So let's talk about change and the eternal pattern. Change for the sake of truth. Why does God bring change to our life? Why does God allow change to come to our lives? I mean, some change is good. Even good change can be uncomfortable, right? Some change is just, I'm, you know, how can you call it good? A loved one passes away. I lose my job. Um, Man, I saw uh, on the McNulty's uh, some friends of theirs up in Minnesota that uh, I guess a bed and breakfast burned down. And, I mean, these are tragic events. But do we believe that the God of all creation knows how to accomplish what he declares in Romans 8.28, that he will work all things together for good to those that love him and are the called according to his purpose? Can we trust in that in spite of the change and the uncertainty and the things that happen around us. And I'm telling you, church, you can absolutely trust in Him. The things that may happen in and around our lives, the change that comes may not be good, but God is absolutely good. He is absolutely good. So we often equate change with new things, but in a God who does not change, it's not about new things, it's about the eternal. In other words, it's about eternal things, not new things. And it's always about eternal truth. I'm talking about change for the sake of truth. So in Isaiah 43, 19, this is a scripture uh, that I used to like to, to quote. We want to say, ooh, God's going to do a new thing. Here's what the prophet says. Behold, Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. See, change isn't always about a new thing. Matter of fact, when God brings change, at whatever level, it's really not about new things, it's about eternal things. Because the only, the only change God is interested in is change that conforms to or brings conformity to what? To the eternal pattern, to the eternal purpose. Who is the eternal pattern? Christ is the eternal pattern. So the only change God is interested in is change that, that will bring us into conformity to the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Isaiah says this, the road and the river were not new to God. They, they might be new to us, but they're not new to God. Why? Because He was bringing about His eternal purpose. Because the road and the river, the road in the wilderness and the river in the desert, who do they speak of? They speak of Christ. He is the way. He is the road. He is the path to life. He is the fountain 
of living waters. He is the river that will flow and quench the thirst of the thirsty. So the road and the river are not new to God. They may be new to us, but they speak of the eternal purpose of God manifest and fulfilled in the eternal Son of God who is the truth, the way, and the life. So we don't need change for the sake of change. It's kind of like, you know, have you ever gone home? Well, I never go home and do this. But I know a few weeks ago I went home and it's like, you know, the whole living room is rearranged. You know, my couch that was here is now there and my chair that was here is now there and the piano that was here is now there. And, you know, have you ever just said, man, I just need a change. You know, I think I'm going to rearrange this room or I think I'm tired of looking at this white wall. I think I'm going to paint it beige. I'm tired of looking at this beige wall. I think I'll paint it. That, that's okay. But th- this is not what we're talking about. God doesn't instigate change just for the sake of change. God doesn't do anything just because. God does everything with a purpose. And the, the reason and the purpose God does everything is an eternal purpose. So we don't need change just for the sake of change. We need change for the sake of truth. Listen, we must never instigate or resist change at the expense of truth. God instigates change for the sake of truth. We resist change because that's just kind of our nature. Or we may say, you know, I just need a change. So I'm going to divorce my wife. A lot of people do that. I just need a change. Honey, I'm sorry, but I just need a change in my life. I still love you and everything, but... I mean, that sounds really callous, but I know people that that's happened to. I just need a change. Now, you don't need a change. You need the truth. It's what you need. We don't instigate change at the expense of truth, and we don't resist change at the expense of truth. Now, I want you to... I want you to think about this. Christ came for the sake of truth. Amen? He instigates change, not not for the new, but for the truth that is eternal. Men will resist change, but God is very persistent. Have you ever noticed that? Has God ever worked in your life? There's an area of your life... I don't know, is it just me? Who here has ever resisted God? Anybody? Have you ever noticed that, that, that when it's all said and done, God just always finds a way of getting past our resistance? He does. And the reality is, have you ever been in a place where you look back and you say, man, I am so glad God persisted beyond my resistance? Yes. Men resist, but God persists. And so change continues to come for the sake of truth. Not to bring in the new for the sake of something new, but to restore to us the eternal truth that makes us free. So let's talk about change on a macro level. You guys ever been in school and you took macro and microeconomics? Macro means the big picture. Micro is, you know, like a microscope. A microscope, you're looking... At very small things, you're getting the very focused picture. 
they don't have macroscopes, but a telescope would be like a macroscope. You know, you're looking at a big thing. But a macro level. So we see this very clearly. Let's, if you look at history, and I know most people don't like history, right? But you realize how valuable history is? History teaches us a lot. It really does. And when we look at history, we see in history how God has affected change. And if we just consider the history of the church, and I just picked three major examples that span about 3,000 years. Okay? Let's think about the children of Israel. The children of Israel are wandering in the desert. They come out of Egypt and God gives them what? He gives them the law. We call it the law of Moses. But it was God's law given to Moses for his children. And by the time Jesus came, do you know how comfortable the children of Israel were living under the law? They were very comfortable living under the law. They had created the law as a Uh, as a way of becoming righteous in God's eyes. But yet God never gave them the law to be righteous. God gave them the law to point out their sinfulness. Really, the law was given as a microscope to magnify the sinfulness of man. And, And man took that very thing and turned it into an... and used it for the opposite purpose. And they took the very thing that was meant to reveal our sinfulness and they turned it into something that they thought could cleanse them of their sinfulness or remove their sinfulness. So Israel had become very comfortable with the law as as their way of becoming righteous before God. Then, after Pentecost, the Holy Ghost falls, the the New Testament church is birthed there, and we see in Acts chapter 8... A persecution arose. And as a result of the persecution, the church left Jerusalem and they began to witness beyond the city. But until that persecution came, the church was very comfortable preaching and teaching and discipling other Jews. But they didn't bother to go to the Samaritans. They didn't bother to go beyond Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth. They were very comfortable right there. And God had to do something to instigate change. Well, Galatians 4 tells us that in the fullness of time, Christ came, born under the law, born of a woman, to do what? To deliver us, that we could become sons of God. Because God wasn't content with man being comfortable trying to be righteous through the works of the flesh. So here comes the truth to set men free. God wasn't content that the church flourish in Jerusalem. That was not the commission Jesus gave to the church. We can read it at the end of the Gospels. And so God instigated a persecution. He allowed a persecution to come to discomfort the church, and that change brought about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We can fast forward several hundred years in history. And if you know your history from about 1,000 to 1,500, a 500-year span of history. Do you know America is not even 500 years old yet? Monday, tomorrow is the 4th of July. It is the 
anniversary of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Who can do the math and tell me how old America is tomorrow? Huh? 235. So we're not quite halfway to the... I mean, 250 years would be half of 500 years. The Dark Ages spanned a 500-year period in European history and world history. 500 years. You know what was called the Dark Ages? Because most people in the known world at that time in Europe could not read or write. The barbarian hordes had come in at the fall of the Roman Empire. They burned all the libraries. They burned all the books. They killed all the, uh, anybody that had any means. And for 500 years, you basically had the population of Europe living in darkness. It was intellectual darkness. That's why it's called the Dark Ages. And then at the end of the Dark Ages, there's something happened. It was called the Age of Enlightenment or the Renaissance. Something else very significant happened. It was called the Reformation. And in that 500 years, you had ruling families, ruling cities. You had multiple popes competing with one another. There wasn't just one pope. There were many popes. And and you had this state-run church. And it was all political. And if I were a priest... During the Dark Ages, I was educated to read the Scripture, but you would not be allowed to read. It was against the law for you to read. It was forbidden for you to be able to read. And men who fought for the right of people to be able to read the Scriptures, you know what they did to them? They burned them at the stake. They killed them. They executed them. They tortured them. Because as long as I can read the Scripture and you can't, guess what you can't do? You're you're basically forced to believe whatever I tell you because you don't know the difference. Was that God's plan? To keep men in darkness? No, read John 1. God sent the light into the world. And the men that loved darkness stayed in darkness, but his, he wanted to send light. He did send light into the world. So at the end of that 500 years, around 1500, in the 1400s, guess what? The Reformation took place. Which, because of that, now, here we are with our Bibles, written in the language that we know, talking about it today, trusting in the Scripture. So, here's the thing. When that change was going on, I want you to realize there were men literally fighting to the death to keep that change from happening. There were literally men killing other men so that you would not be able to read your Bible. There were men killing other men because they wanted a a ruling, a state-run political hierarchy that was the church. Or they wanted to be in this city or that city. You see where we had just gone awry. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the religious civil war of the Reformation or whether we're talking about the Pharisees who had Jesus crucified because Jesus threatened their religious system. 
or whether it's the children of Israel who want to go back to Egypt because they don't like it in the desert and they felt like Moses didn't really tell them the truth. It doesn't really matter where we're at in history. The point is, God knows our nature. He knows the nature of human beings. He understands the fallen nature. And he understands that man left to himself will come to what? Will come to destruction. The wages of sin are death. You were born in sin or righteousness. You were born in sin, the Bible says. Left to yourself, you have one destiny. It's called death. Aren't you glad God didn't leave you to yourself? Aren't you glad that God said, you know what, these people are going to resist it, but I'm not going to let them stay where they are. I'm going to take them out of sin and death. I'm going to bring light into their darkness. And they will resist me, but I will persist and I will overcome their resistance. I can remember it like it was yesterday, my resistance of God. But I just thought, I mean, I mean, man, we're talking about God. God overcame my resistance and he saved me in spite of myself. And that is true for everyone here that is saved. He saved you in spite of yourself. But I want you to see something. What I'm trying to get you to see, church, is that over a 500-year period, over a 1,500-year period, from the time the children of Israel came out of Egypt till the time Christ came, do you realize God was working, God was bringing about change, and even when the truth stood in their midst, in the very person of God Himself through Jesus Christ, when the truth stood there with them face to face, they resisted God. Because they had grown comfortable in what they believed. They could operate in that. And they resisted the truth. Thank God that He brings about change in spite of our resistance. So in each case, when the church becomes too comfortable and too complacent, God instigates change. In each case, God brought a reformation. He brought a reform to His people. 1500 A.D. wasn't the first Reformation. I'm telling you what, the greatest Reformation that took place was when Jesus Christ came to this earth. That was a Reformation. That was a reform. God brought reform. He said, I'm not going to let you live like that. I'm not going to let you believe that. And He brought reform. And God is still bringing reform to us today. He, He knows how to reform us. And so in each case, when the church becomes comfortable... When it becomes complacent, God instigates change. He brings reformation. He brings reform to His people. Through the advent of Christ, God brought reformation. Through the persecution that that happened in Jerusalem, God brought reformation. He caused the church to get out of her comfort zone and she began to preach in Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And we are a testament of that today by the very fact that we're here talking about these things. Through a return to the Scripture, God brought Reformation. And so in each case, it was a revelation of the truth that brought about the needed reform. And this continues to be true today at every level of our life. It is still a fact that only the truth can make you free. 
It's only the truth that can make you free. And there is nothing else that can make you free. And I can tell you about the truth, and I can point you to the truth, but until that truth becomes real in you. Not through the words of man, but through the power of His Spirit, until that truth becomes real in you, you will stay bound. But here's the goodness of God. Here's the grace of God. God says, I know how to work in your life to bring about, to instigate change that will bring you into truth. So I, I know all the truth I need to know. Well, see, that's what we believe, right? But, but remember, there's an eternal pattern. There is something that God is doing. God is bringing us into a glory. He is growing us up, if you will, into a glory that is Christ. There is, Ephesians 4 talks about this growing up, this maturing process that's taking place. Now, if we're just left to ourselves, we'll just say right where we are. But God says, nah, because I'm going to bring you to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, my Son, my glorified Son. I'm going to bring you to that place. I have begun a good work in you, and I will complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6, this is a great promise that God gives us. And he's not just talking about you barely hanging on and getting to go to heaven one day. There is an ongoing work of the Spirit that's taking place in your life right now as a child of God. And God says, I will complete that work. I will bring you to this fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. I'm going to do it. And he will. And now let's talk about change on a micro level. So we go to the big picture, and we can look at a historical timeline, and we can look, look at chunks of history, 500-year chunks of history, and we can see the change that God has brought. But in the midst of that change, I mean in the midst of the persecution, if you were one of those guys burned at the stake because you advocated printing the Bible in English or German or whatever, uh, it wouldn't be real good for you, would it? But we can stand back and look at history and say, thank God, that John Huss and Wycliffe and Martin Luther and these guys were willing to pay the price with even their life to, to bring the Scripture to our hands. Thank God for that. Well, we, it's easy for us to say thank God because we weren't tied to the stake and burned with fire. Or we didn't lose everything. But we can look back at a macro level and say, man, thank you God for bringing us out of that darkness and, and bringing us to light. We can look at the children of Israel and we say, thank you, God, for not giving up on them. Thank you, God, for bringing them. Thank you for sending Christ. So let's look at change on a micro level. We can look at history and see sweeping changes that God has brought about in His eternal plan and purpose, but we must never forget that change began, and change begins where? Out here? No, it begins right here. It begins here. It begins at a micro level. The only reason we have this Bible printed in English today is because there were real men who paid real personal prices, even with their lives, to give us this. We don't know their names. We know some of their names. We don't know their stories. We know some of their stories. But there have been countless, nameless, faceless people that have paid price, with even their lives, to, for me to just hold this Bible in my hand and talk to you today. There was great change that came to their lives as a result of it. 
And we can look at the great change that God brought in history, but we can never forget the change that took place that began in the hearts of men. Many of you tomorrow will celebrate the 4th of July and you'll have hot dogs and you'll barbecue and you'll, I don't know if you get to watch fireworks or not because maybe they won't have them because of the burn ban. But in your mind, if you don't get to have any fireworks, you can sit there and reminisce about years gone by where you watched the fireworks and thought how cool it was. You can watch it on TV and you'll celebrate. And we'll thank God for our nation. But we'll never be able to know all of the personal stories, all of the personal pain, all of the change, the good, the bad, and the ugly that took place in order for us to sit in our easy chairs tomorrow and celebrate the 4th of July. Just like we can't know all the stories of all the persons that enabled us to hold this Bible and have this conversation today without fear of reprisal. Or... If we were in some countries, we'd be having this congregation expecting that any minute they could bust through the door, and if they do, oh well. Oh, it's okay. So change at a micro level. Change never happens out here until it happens in here. So before God changes a nation, guess what? He changes the individuals of that nation. One heart at a time. We all want to get the laws changed, fine and good. But the laws are nothing more than a symptom of the problem that exists in the hearts of men. Changing laws is easy. We can do that. Changing hearts, we cannot do that. But God can. And if we focus on changing laws and we never focus on changing hearts, we're focused in the wrong place. And so what does God do? God knows how to get us to focus not here, but here. So God will let us in our futility try to change Washington or Austin or whoever, City Hall, the White House. He'll, he'll let us continue to do that. But we'll become so frustrated and we'll be, come to a point of such futility that maybe will realize, you know what, maybe it's not about Washington, maybe it's not about Austin, maybe it's not about the White House, maybe it's about my house. Huh. Maybe I need to think about changing my house before I start worrying about changing everybody else's house. Maybe before the laws in Washington or Austin are changed, maybe I better check what law I'm living by in my heart. What standard I'm living by, what I'm looking to. Where is my life? Who is my life? Where is my Savior? Who is my Savior? A nation will never be changed until the individuals of that nation are changed. Before God changes a city, guess what? He changes the hearts of the citizens of that city. How? One heart at a time. Before God changes a family, guess what? He changes the hearts of those family members. And He does it one heart at a time. Before God changes a church, guess what he does? He changes the hearts of those called out people who are the church and he changes them one heart at a time. And that change is not a, a one-time thing. It is a process. It is a working out. 
It is the work of the Spirit that is taking place in us and through us and around us eternally, every moment of every day, all the time. It doesn't happen just when you come to this building. It doesn't happen just when you read your Bible. I'm telling you, God is working on you. Tomorrow morning, when you drive to work or you get to the office and that person steps on your last nerve and you have a choice of how you're going to react right there, and maybe you react good or maybe you react badly, that is going to be God working in you. Dealing maybe with your anger issues, dealing with your impatience, Dealing with whatever that is not conformed to the image of His Son. So in our individual lives, God instigates and allows change to come in similar disrupting ways. Just like He does on a macro level, He does it on a micro level. He allows those things to come personally to us. And you could write out all the various ways that change has come to your life. But it doesn't really matter. The reality is it comes. We can see and appreciate change on a macro level as we look back in history and see the blessing that that change brought, remember? But it's much more difficult to stand in the midst of it For instance, right now, we're in the midst of certain things that are happening. Maybe something's happening in your life personally. We know that as a nation, there are many things happening right now that are not good. And people are concerned. What's going to happen to our nation? What's going to happen to our economy? Because what happens is going to affect my business, my home, my family, my person. And we're in the midst of this and we're struggling and we're wondering, God, what's happening? What's going on here? We're in the midst of this change taking place. And in the midst of that, can we, can we get through the fall? Can we get beyond all of that? And can we get our eyes focused on a sovereign God who has brought mankind from the very point of creation to the very point that we are right now. And he has never once for one second lost control of his plan and of his purpose. Even when the Son of God died on a cross, murdered at the hands of men, God had not lost control. Because it was the eternal purpose. It was foreordained. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us it was. And even when it looked like, even to those apostles, that that everything just flew out of control, God was perfectly in control. And right now, in the midst of your life, when it may seem like everything has come unglued at the seams, I'm telling you what, God is in control. And you can look at all the seams that have come unglued, or you can look unto Jesus the author, the beginner, and the finisher of your faith. You can look to a God who is absolutely in control, who knows where this nation will be tomorrow, next week, next year, next century. If we're here in a century, who knows? Oh, God knows. Yeah, but I don't know. Oh, you don't need to know. 
You just need to know God. Jesus, uh, before you leave, could you tell us when you're coming back? Don't concern yourself with that. That's in the Father's time. You just go and preach the gospel. But Lord, could you tell me when this economy is going to get better? Because I don't know if he tells you, you could make a lot of money. Because there sure is a lot of people that want to know. Uh, you can spend your time worrying about stuff like that, or you can get your eyes on the sovereign God and say, you know what? All of this change, all this uncertainty, all this stuff that God is allowing to happen all around us, maybe God has a greater purpose in all of this. Maybe God really is dealing with the nation. And his dealings with the nation, though we don't understand them, though they're very uncomfortable, very painful, maybe one day there will be a time when we will look back and say, praise God, that God did not allow us to remain as we were. Can you look back in your life now and say, praise God that He did not allow me to remain as I was? I can I think we all can. Can you look at your life now and say, you know what, I don't know, I don't know why God has allowed all the change and uncertainty to come in my life. I can't see any good in it right now. That may be reality for you, and that's okay. But in the midst of that reality, can you also say, but even though I don't understand, even though I will trust Him, because I know He is in control, and I know that even though I can't see how his promise to me is that he will work all things together for good to those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. And this is why, this is what we're going to be talking about next week and however long, next couple of weeks. This is why we must hold Christ, who is the truth, in his proper place. See, this isn't just getting a pep talk. This is understanding who Christ is and holding Christ in His proper place. If we are not holding Christ in His proper place, if we're not holding Him in His proper place, I'm telling you what, you're going to be tossed with every wind, with every wave that comes against you. But as we begin to look beyond those things and look to a God who is above all of those things, and we hold Him in His proper place, I'm telling you what. He will take us. He will take us through the storms. What an appropriate song today. In the highs and in the lows. In the moments of calm, in the moments of storm, He will not let go. Why? Because you have become joined to Him in His very life. Christ is someone who's there and you're some down here trying to figure out how you're going to make it in this life and you don't really understand your salvation. You don't really understand what the gospel is. I'm telling you what. You're going to have a rough ride. And even when we hold Christ in His proper place, the ride can get pretty rough. But we will never be shaken Loose, we will never come unanchored, unmoored from the hope that He is in our life. In the winds and the waves of change, 
It's through those things, those things that God instigates, those things that God allows. I'm not sure what the difference is. In those things, this is how God affects change. This is how God brings our lives into conformity. This is how God uses everything around us in our lives and in our times. Christ is the pattern and the reality that God is working toward. Christ is the pattern and the reality that the Holy Spirit in you is working toward, bringing you into conforming to the Son. Bringing you to this place of being conformed to Him at every level. Out here, in here. From the greatest to the smallest. To the most seemingly insignificant details of your life. God works and uses everything. And He is mindful and concerned about everything to bring you to this place of conforming to His Son. So as we live in these times of uncertainty and change, you have to choose where you're going to put your eyes. Are you going to put them on the change and the uncertainty? Or are you going to put them on the God who is sovereign over everything and know and have the assurance that the Spirit of God in you is doing a work by His power that you are unable to do. And God knew that, and that's why God sent Him. That's why God put Him in you. And this is the promise. He will complete the work He has begun in you, even until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so next week we're going to talk more about this eternal pattern. We're going to talk about the Son of glory that we are being brought into conformity to. Amen. This is the work of the Spirit, the glorious work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we need to know who this Son is. More precisely, we need to have a better picture of Him, a better ability to see Him, not with our natural eyes, but through the eyes of faith and through the eyes of the Spirit. Amen. Let's all stand. Now I'm going to pray a prayer of of, uh, dismissal.